Hi, my name is Dr. Richard Mills, and you are listening to Talk Sex with Dick. Today, we have a very amazing guest, Asa Scott. She is joining us today. Welcome, Asa. Hello, Dr. Mills. I'm super excited to be on the show with you today. Always so formal. Always. Well, I don't know who is listening in the audience today, but I just have mm -hmm. to tell you, Dr. Mills has these piercing, dark, hazel eyes. She's always doing this to me. (laughs) (laughs) And I am always, you know, completely girly and giddy in his presence. So today's going to be an amazing chat and I'm honored to be. I'm so excited for you to be here. You know, for our audience, we're going to go into a little bit of our history of how we know one another, but and how we fell in love. How we fell in love. (laughs) But also to talk about the reason that I brought Asa onto the show is to talk about this whole concept of divorce and she recently went through one and we're going to talk about her coming to the United States, her experience with being married and why that was so difficult for you to let that go. Yes. So Asa, how long have we known each other? Oh my God. Is it like, are we five years can i go we got five on it i think you're and maybe a little i don't know about five we got three on it so um Part of the work that I did just for the audience. So, Asa mm-hmm. and I worked at an agency and that I, shall remain nameless. Uh, that shall remain nameless, but I came in for an interview, but apparently she was too busy to sit down with me that day. And I ended up, if she had met me that day, she would have brought me in to work <laughs> in the outpatient portion of the agency. But I got whisked away to work in the the inpatient, and I was there for about a year. Yes, so mm-hmm. it was um, a outpatient substance abuse, privately owned and funded organization, and we were mental health, outpatient, and inpatient detox and rehab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so I had moved in eventually to the outpatient. Yes. And Asa were, and I worked alongside each other, and not very uh, nicely. <laughs> <laughs> it was like hot, you know, we were like hot and cold, oil and vinegar. Mm. But there was always something about you, which was like when I walked in, I always knew that you were there because there was oh. this laugh, like <laughs> I could always hear it. Um, and so, Asa, you have been, so tell us, I want to start out by talking about your experience as it relates to being here in, you know, uh, the United States and where you came from and just to look at that. So I was born in this beautiful land uh, called Guyana. Um, It's in South America. It's at the northern part of South America, Mm -hmm. bordering Brazil and Venezuela and Suriname. And it's a very 
peace-loving country. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a very proud country. Um, we have a lot of natural resources, and um, we pride ourselves with just developing, um, you mm-hmm. know, folks' character and family. Sure, and that's huge. It is, yeah. And when did you come to the United States? I moved to the U.S. when I was about 12 years old. Um, My mom was sick, and I came. It was supposed to be a short visit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I came to um, to see her, and, you know, and probably um, at that time we thought it was terminal. So I was coming to just, you know, give her Mm -hmm. my last goodbyes. Um, but she recovered. Well, she didn't go anywhere. <laughs> she is still here today. She is. With us. She is. She is. And you are now living where? I live in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in the beautiful borough of Brooklyn, uh, Dickmas Park, East Flatbush area. So we, I think, you know, our listeners, and I want to thank all of the listeners. We have, yes. we are now an international production. I saw that last we week. We saw some pings in Europe. Yeah, Europe. Thank you for all my European lovers out there that are here. And, well, they're not here, but wherever they are mm-hmm. in, in my heart, right? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, as we're sitting here, you know, it's uh, it's really interesting being yes. here. And for those back home, you know, and those in other parts of the United States, uh, they might uh, they may understand, like, there's... There's uh, New York City. There's like Manhattan. That's what like anyone who is not from America, mm. they think of New York and they think of Statue of Liberty, Times sure. Square, etc. So um, a part of my genesis to the States was learning those cultural differences. Mm-hmm. Like there is a feel of someone from the Bronx. There is a feel of sure. someone from Queens. There is a feel of someone who lives in like Rockland County or Long Island. And those are very different feels from sure. Brooklyn. Yeah. No, a Brooklyn <laughs> represent, you know, when I was, um, when I was living in originally in, Manhattan. I started out in what was called Washington Heights, yes. and then Not I went down Manhattan. to Brooklyn. Right? There was always that attitude that Washington Heights wasn't Manhattan. They would call it the Bronx. Yes. But then I moved down to Brooklyn, and I lived in like Bed Stuy. But you live do or in die, Bradstein. Do or die. I How did you survive? I mean, I had a knife pulled out on me on the train, oh, but that was deep into the heart of Bedstein. Wow. Yeah, but that's a whole other story, folks. The little boy from Indiana <laughs> that came, and now we are sitting. And I survived, and that guy. Mm-hmm. I was so upset when that guy pulled out a knife. It uh. was that. I mean, my heart was racing. That was scary, mm-hmm. but that was down in a really like shady part of Brooklyn. But Brooklyn's really become like the jam. Brooklyn is the jam. I blame Sex in the City. I remember <laughs> there was this one episode where I think it was Miranda mm-hmm. that was moving in with her boyfriend and in a Ukrainian neighborhood. Yes. Where and was that? Well, 
I think they were first looking at Park Slope, and then in the end, they moved around Sheepset Bay, which is also in Brooklyn. I mean, Park Slope is like where the lesbians all live. <laughs> like, if you're a lesbian, you are going to find your love uh, and your U-Haul and all those things. And your Subaru. <laughs> and your Subaru. Like, it is very, Park Slope is where the lesbians, it's very, like, family. Where it's, it's, it's a diverse community. I would sure. say, like, you find... Um, an amalgamish of every culture in in Brooklyn, especially Park Slope. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you're riding the trains when I very first came here and you would listen to all these different languages. Yes. And now I just don't hear them. Oh, I do. I just like, I don't know if it's just because I've became so... You might have just gotten accustomed to it and acculturated to those. Those things may have just become normal. Because I can imagine Indiana, if you heard sure. somebody speak in Czech or They'd Chinese. be like, oh my God, Al-Qaeda <laughs> is coming in to like, oh, infiltrate. No. Like, I am going to apologize for that statement. <laughs> I mean, it is. like You were not like exposed to very different cultures and and you know when i came to new york it was like bam Mm -hmm. you know i thought chicago i would go up to chicago and be like oh my god oh gosh yeah but i digress so you live what train is that so there are a couple of different trains i live in one of the best parts of brooklyn that i can take the q the b the two the five So it's like you can you can take a couple of different trains to get to where. Are you there can. any good recommendations of restaurants? Or? Oh yes! Shout out to Costello Plan. Okay, they are not a sponsor. <laughs> what is the name of that? Costello Plan. That's my neighborhood and restaurant. And how far is that from like Times the, Square? Because that's Times when, Square. I would say if you took the Q train, it's about a fifteen to twenty minute train ride. Sure. To Times. Square on a day where the queues run mm-hmm. in express. But that's not why we're here that's today. That's not why we're here. We are not. We love New York, but that is not why we are here. <laughs> you know, so Asa, you've, you were, you live in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Your mom lives in Brooklyn and you've lived there. And yes. so now as we met, right, mm-hmm. um, Asa and I did some intense work spiritual growth and when I met you I was like who is this exotic creature she was always like you know having groups that were like you know like she had she had all these things she's all these friends she you're just like uh (laughs) if I need to know something about culture that I don't know I'm Mm -hmm. going to I mean she goes to like Shabbat she goes to I mean, you're just a, a woman of many facets. I, I feel that it's important that we do not limit ourselves and experiences. Um, you know, life on this planet is very mm-hmm. um, short. You know, uh, my grandmother used to tell me that we um, are basically granted three scores and 10. That's like the length of an average human being. And mm-hmm. if you do that mathematically, that's about 70 years. Um, I don't want to age myself, but um, (laughs) I'm close to the halfway point on that. And it's important that Uh for me and how I live my life um, is to experience as much joy, as much people. Except swimming. As we found out, I gave Asa a swimming lesson. (laughs) We went up to, to where was it? Q. 
Candlewood Lake. Up in since where was it? Candlewood Lake. It's close to Fairfield, Connecticut, I think. Connecticut. Connecticut. It's a very interesting. I've been taking these little trips out mm-hmm. of the city lately. Yeah. So we need to explore swimming. We do. Yes. So swimming, I'm going to do that as a metaphor um, mm-hmm. for our topic that we were supposed to talk about today. Sure. Um, and it's about understanding that survival becomes important for for you whenever you're placed sure. in situations where um, you find yourself having to either float or learn to kick in order to make it to the shore. Well, honey, we are going to start learning how to make it to the shore. <laughs> yes. I've, I've, I've existed a lot of my mm. adult life um, floating. Mm. And um, to take this metaphor a little bit further, um, so I got married when I was 23 years old. Mm. I was young. I was excited about 23. 23 to my high school sweetheart yeah Yeah. i mean if we think about it now people are just not really getting married it depends i feel like the reason that people are getting married Mm. is becoming um a little bit changing as time goes on Mm -hmm. um there's this idea of um of social pressure that forces you to want to couple up so almost sure, every sure. celebrity now is in this really exclusive hashtag relationship goals type of sure. couple setting. And that pressure to conform to that level of perfection mm-hmm. is pretty hard. Um, and mm-hmm. I also came from a church culture. So um, being married was like what you did if you wanted to date or, you know, you find someone that you liked. Sure. You got married because that's what biblically, biblically is um, acceptable. Getting a little tongue-tied that there. That word is, yeah. The biblical. <laughs> Too many bees. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that um, that becomes the goal um, to to get married. To get married because one scripturally, that's what uh, you're taught. You know, you want to mimic the way that Christ loved us, and Christ's first marriage was to the church. And there's a lot to unpack. I mean, when (laughs) I look at my own experiences Mm -hmm. and we look at our own experiences, yes, like getting married and what Mm -hmm. is that experience? And so you got married Mm -hmm. when you were 23. And I didn't just got married. I got married in my church in front of my family, with my bishop, with my pastor. We took premarital Uh counseling. We did everything the right way. Sure. And how much did it cost you to get into that marriage? Um, There's the financial costs, which I don't even, I don't think I quantified at all. But for me, there was the emotional cost, which was Mm. something that I've learned to unpack now. Um, There was a loss of identity, you know, like I became a wife. Um, Mm. There was these expectations that came with being a wife. You are now attached and owned to another person. Um, Sure. um, you're expected to cook dinner. You're expected to mend your husband's shirt if there was a risk sure. in it. You were expected to be home at a certain time, preferably mm-hmm. before your husband was. 
and um, ensure that the table was set. You expected to be clean and neat and organized. That is, that feels so removed from our, our culture. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just like me being queer. Like, there's mm-hmm. not those expectations of having dinner on the table. Well, those were the expectations that I had. You know, mm-hmm. um, my mother my aunts you know women in my family were just like this is what marriage is and i think pretty early on in our relationship my husband at the time sean and he looked at me and he said this is just too much for you like he recognized that i was Mm. unhappy trying to play wife and play when your partner is saying Mm -hmm. you know you have made this huge decision Mm -hmm. to be to get married. I mean, it's a, it's a lot to... Essentially, a marriage is only $25 in the state of New York. <laughs> like, if you go to the courthouse, that's how much it is. Uh, but there's so much more... There's so much more, yeah. When you're but I think it's too, when... Depends on how you perceive those conversations, right? Mm-hmm. When he said to me, like, let's figure out how to do this our own way because the way that we were told to do it isn't working i internalized that as failure say that again so he said to me hey Mm -hmm. all this pressure all these things all these social norms that we're supposed to be following in order for us to have a quote-unquote happy marriage we are not doing and the things that we are should be doing Mm -hmm. we don't like to do and that's causing us discomfort and and we're completely failing mm-hmm. at this. There's a story here. So, <laughs> what is that story? What's that theme in that, that story? The, hmm. I think the theme in that story is that he was trying to communicate with me um, mm-hmm. and give me an opportunity to realize that we can grow and heal and define our relationship differently and be a place of happiness that's mm-hmm. defined just for us. And how long was that when, so you were 23, how yeah. long was that when you... When we had that conversation? Yeah. I would say pretty early on. I think it was even before our first year. Mm. Because we were failing. Huh. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. you were failing at marriage. Failing at marriage. Okay. And, um, An F-I-A-I-L. <laughs> and so when we... We, we had those conversation and that and that didn't go so well. I then did what most people usually do when mm. they're unhealthy is to run away. Right? Like sure. I emotionally withdrew from that because it was and like I, I am failing. This is not I'm not even going to try. And not only am I failing, it's his fault. <laughs> sure. He's I mean that's why when way. I do work with mm. couples, that's mm-hmm. a lot of times like we start to see the first thing is people are emotionally withdrawing yes. and then it's like our lives become so I'll give mm-hmm. just a little breakdown. So the yeah. first part, the first stage is the, I love you. I can't live without you. I would walk 
I would drive all the way across Manhattan to get laid by you, right? <laughs> but then it turns the- into this differentiation. That's generally where people start to fight and argue. Mm-hmm. And then people go into practicing. And that's where we kind of accept the difference. Mm-hmm. But it's that's generally where the stagnation comes as in the practicing yeah. stage. But you guys knew each other way before. Yes, we knew each other when we were about 12 or 13 years old. We dated in high school. He was like the first boy I was in love with. And I I knew when I first saw him when I was was there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, this is going to be my husband. (laughs) Did you guys used to send each other the notes? Um, Well, we... We're you part of a debate little, team. Like, yeah. What were they? And you'd I know. like pull them up and it would be like, am I going to get married, married today? To and then you'd like pull up the tab and it'd say <laughs> no. And you'd go, am I going to get married next year? <laughs> it's like an eight ball, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those, those were really great. Um, but yeah, so a part of even that process of recognizing mm-hmm. that you were failing at something that was mm-hmm. so emotionally um, impactful in your life that defined your identity was also me mourning those sort of childhood dreams and that sure um, and also mourning that level of um just disappointment for like family and things like that i've always been an overachiever so it was of course. Like, can we know. just break it down so there is this thing in the park and what is the what, what is it called and um, Prospect Park. Prospect Park, sorry. And oh my God, (laughs) these tables, people. If you live (laughs) in New York City, I I think you pay like $400 for an evening. But hey, you might meet Chuck Schumer. (laughs) I did. He was so nice. He was so nice. But um, like, you could see like his very big, Mm -hmm. like, and you could definitely see that, like, we brought wine, but I mean, there was like, I mean, everybody was de- decorating their table, but it was like, you can definitely, I think your cousin was there. Yes. And she like brought in all this stuff before you got in there. And it was like, really, your cousin was showing up for you in that Absolutely, way. Absolutely, yeah. So you can definitely see that like mm-hmm. family is a very like high priority for you. It is, you know, um, and especially when, uh, you do things that could potentially bring shame to the family. Like you don't like in Guyana, divorce is not something that you speak of. It's very taboo in the church culture as well. Like I remember growing up hearing um, sermons that the worst thing that a woman can ever do Mm -hmm. is be divorced. And it's also, there's a gendered idea, identity um that goes along with it like a divorced woman is like worse than a divorced man well and it's the same thing with like being gay like the worst thing that you can do is Mm -hmm. to be gay and to yeah or to you know have sex before marriage yes i used to you know when i was a kid when Mm -hmm. i was like growing up um we were in this youth group and mm-hmm. you know everybody was doing these things but everybody was like you know on uh, wednesday nights they all had their hands up in the air you know <laughs> like and we knew what was going on but 
you know, that pressure that we felt put upon ourselves. The, the pressure is definitely real. Um, mm-hmm. But I also feel that for me, having, and, and at least now, having an evolved sense of self is sure. more important um, when you're kind of forced with these societal pressures. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I was confirming to an identity of something sure. that I thought of what marriage should be and what was the expectations of it isn't necessarily the problem of all of the identity around me. It was more of a problem of my own lack of self. So when and, you guys separated, when did mm-hmm. you separate? Oh my gosh. Um, I think it was a, there were so many years ago. I can't even remember. But there was there's over like a five or six year period of time. Five that we, or six. How, so you got married when you were 23. 23. Oh, you're going to make me do math. We're doing the math. <laughs> so you guys were. So you guys had met when you were high school, school sweethearts. sweethearts. Yeah. And then you got married when you were 23. So it's like most of my 20s was. And then, and then when did you guys separate? I would say. Oh, gosh. Maybe about four or five years into the marriage. So, so that would 20, be about 24, 25, 26, 26 20, 27. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So 27, you yeah. separate. Mm-hmm. And then for how many years had you been separated? So, gosh, you're making me tell my age now. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Some 36. Oh, my God. So you had separated when you were 27. Yes. and. You had stayed, and this is where the story begins, right? Begins. This is where mm-hmm. th- I always say there's a story here. Yeah. So there's this idea of, um, you know, just sort of like, especially being a Christian woman, of not wanting to a identify, woman of the Lord. identify as, um, as mm-hmm. a divorcee. Uh, sure. You know, there is this idea that you can grieve so many things. You can mm-hmm. grieve death. You can grieve a loved one um, who is abroad. You can, you know, leave a job. All of those things. Sure. Um, but when there is a divorce, there is a sense of loss that is unpalpable for you to understand and mm. sometimes even recover from. Of and course. for me when your identity was so much wrapped up, like I loved my last name, <laughs> even though I didn't use it that much. I the loved last name being, of Scott? No, my husband's last name, the hyphenated one that oh. I'm not going to say. Yeah. <laughs> we so, will keep bleep. <laughs> yeah. But so... So I loved, I loved that identity mm. of that, and there was some level of protection that came from guarding my heart and guarding those pieces sure. of vulnerable energy that mm. existed inside of me. But you still hyphened your name. I did. Is that so subconsciously, like, not saying women that hyphen their names yeah. or individuals mm-hmm. who hyphen their names mm-hmm. will then are, like, planning a divorce or people mm-hmm. who get, like, prenups before mm-hmm. marriage, not that they're planning out divorce and mm-hmm. that's a whole other topic but there's this piece of it that says it's like you subconsciously there were things going so I want to back up a little Mm -hmm. bit what was that like when you guys officially separated for us it was I think 
with relationships, there are many different truths that mm-hmm. happen um, that leads to mm. the termination of whatever bond that you and this person have. And people usually, and, and even when I counsel couples, I always say to them, what are your deal breakers? You know, mm. is honesty important? Um, is physical fidelity, fidelity important? Um, or are there other betrayals that could be worse than honesty or infidelity? Sure. And I think with us, there were little betrayals that led to like an ultimate betrayal. That Do you sort care of to went. share any of those? I don't really want. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's not important. But it's not important because I think well, the, people go into betrayal like they screwed around. Yeah. But I think it was much more for me to realize that the biggest betrayal for me was the loss of self and identity. And the that person you felt like you betrayed yourself. And I betrayed myself, but that I went for many years right there that holding just, him accountable mm-hmm. to those betrayals that really were actions and participation and things that mm. I personally did myself. Mm. And I, I, I needed to get to that level of freedom. And for me, the route that I chose was true spirituality. Mm. And as I grew closer to God, I was able to find my identity in Christ and knew that mm. the parts that I was looking for myself in a husband or the parts that I was looking for myself in a relationship to fix mm-hmm. that identity was girl we buried have some <laughs> church up on a Sunday up in here uh, it's a Monday but Sunday Reverend, is always in our heart Reverend Asa Scott <laughs> is so it's giving us the message of the <laughs> Lord today and so I felt that with relationships mm-hmm. you have to be honest with your partners like what are your deal breakers but there i'm sure so you guys went through this marriage piece. counseling did you guys do that we did mm-hmm. and we were some arrogant little suckers in the beginning <laughs> you guys mm, we were see. like we had this thing down like we walked in and my pastor was like so um mm-hmm. what is the reason that you want to get married and we were like listen we are mature enough to understand <laughs> that what we're going through, that we want to like combine our finances, we want to live together, we've had these conversations, here's how pragmatic mm-hmm. we are, and love didn't even, like, that wasn't even the factor. In but sometimes love is not enough. It, it, and... And I feel for us, the way that we defined love and what we defined as a relationship and Mm. what we were looking for, love wasn't it, was more of a partnership, but Mm. we weren't real and and honest about what Mm. components of that partnership Mm -hmm. we, uh, what the expectations were of Mm. each other and also what we as individuals needed to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So folks always go into a relationship to have their, to, I want to find my second mm-hmm. half and I want to like make myself whole. However, it's Im- really important that when you go into a relationship is that you are a complete person and that you recognize that your completeness is important to elevate your partner so that both of you can form a stronger union. 
what happens mm-hmm. is people are going in t- for someone to fix a deficit in them. Sure. And when that deficit becomes lacking or when that person is not willing to give that 100% back to them, mm-hmm. they become incomplete and then they then start to hold a grudge. That's so not what should happen. So you guys eventually decided we have to, mm-hmm. we have to part ways. Mm-hmm. And the math, <laughs> there's something about... Most people would just go, we realize it's not going to work mm-hmm. and we are going to start the divorce process yeah. so they can go see a divorce attorney mm-hmm. or they can see a mediator. Yeah. And uh, Dr. soon Bells. I will be getting certified as a divorce mediator. So if you find yourself in those shoes, please come and see me and I will be glad to talk to you about that process Mm -hmm. so you guys but you didn't do that we did not do that we chose to just continue to live our lives and bury our heads in the sand and pretend that even though the conversation the conversation happened the physical move happened we were no longer living together mm. um, all of those things happened Here, this is the story listeners. and we buried our heads in the sand and pretended mm. that that hurt that mm-hmm. um, that damage of that break in a covenant commitment didn't happen and when so we, it's like we living in separate places, but mm-hmm. you know we're like yeah. we share taxes, we share all. We these actually things. didn't do the taxes. Okay. We separated all of those things. But what happened is that we tried to put an eraser on something that was already written in ink, sure. and we didn't realize that we mm-hmm. needed to revisit that part of that you know that hurt that damage all of those things in order to heal to come out on the other side you know i want to i want to get out of the heavy because i feel like we're (laughs) in the the heavy and then we're going to go back in right Mm -hmm. um so it was funny uh asa would have me come to for all the listeners out there Mm -hmm. asa would have me come to her holiday work parties and i was the best boyfriend ever (laughs) they i don't know those girls were like i mean some of those women there you have to keep an eye on them because they (laughs) they were just you know and asa would post the picture and her mom's like who's who's this man (laughs) we love her yeah what was that i mean is it subconsciously? I mean, I know that I'm a good pillow to lay on, but mm-hmm. what is that? That was that was part of the burying in the sand, right? Is that mm-hmm. you? You refuse to heal, um, mm-hmm. and and when and you do this work as well with so many uh, couples or people. Sure. If you have an addiction, you have um, some sort of trauma mm-hmm. or any of those things people tend to escape and the route that they escape may vary but the actions still remain the same sure and escapism is not facing reality well it's um i'm going to so oftentimes when we look at you know when i did addiction chemical dependency work i oftentimes would say this I would have them recognize the relationship with the substance mm-hmm. rather than taking on this identity. Mm-hmm. And so 
people move from one thing to the other but secretly they're just not addressing it yeah and that's what i did I used everything and anything in order to not... I feel so used right now. (laughs) But it felt good getting that attention. I would show up to the parties and people would just go, who's that handsome guy? That's my husband. (laughs) You know, when I... We have so many stories of Asa and I, but not to take away from your and I's or your story, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think maybe it was what you needed to do at that moment. Um, it was not what I needed to do, but it was what I chose to do. Um, mm. And I think that's also one of the things is me recognizing my own individual agency mm-hmm. and also my individual actions that led to me um, not growing. And that was a part of it, right? Sure. Like when you hide and you you sort of bury your head in the sand and not mm-hmm. face reality of your situation, you are actively stopping your own growth. Sure. And when, um, so I had a little bit of another trauma that happened this year that led to me having to go back home and and see my grandmother. This is where I get the chills. (laughs) This is where, this is the story. And um, and for me, I needed, when I went home, I was going home and most of the... The spec up, so... Because I know the story, but they don't know the story. Yes, yes. So you can do the work forever. It's so heavy. Mm-hmm. So you say to everybody, I'm heading back home because mm-hmm. my grandmother is sick. Yeah. And it's very different. My, the, of course, if my mother or father was sick, mm-hmm. I would travel. But like it was like, I'm going back home. Yeah. And so you got on a plane it was like on a thursday and i was like girl how long are you gonna be staying (laughs) over there and you're like i'm just going for the weekend and i'm like how long is the flight it was a couple of different connections that i had to do because my where my grandmother lived is not in the capital so Mm -hmm. in guyana it's like a third world country um in south america and there's like one major airport and mm-hmm. my grandmother lived in the village. So, like, you'd have to take the airport and drive and mm-hmm. take another bridge. And it was almost the, I would say, the almost 14 hour journey because mm-hmm. I had to do connections in Trinidad and take another flight. And it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the, the journey actually taught me is that at each leg of my trip, I kept having to like face different realities. And mm-hmm. one of those major realities for me was I'm going home and almost everyone in my family still thinks that I'm happily married. Mm-hmm. And that was a little bit of a pickle. <laughs> so it was like you were living in the closet like a I gay was. man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was living in the divorce closet. But the, also the truth is, I was still married, but I wasn't really. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that little nuance of, mm-hmm. oh, wait, I kind of am, was the excuse that I've always used to not actually take action. Mm-hmm. Um, but also what that did is also stopped me from growing. Like I wasn't in a situation to start a new relationship. 
and grow mm-hmm. and heal from those things that caused me to um, sabotage my previous marriage. Sure. And when I got home and I saw my grandmother, I wanted to be myself. Like I wanted to be my authentic, you know, self, even if pieces of me were broken, because I knew or that. Or if you felt pieces were broken. Yeah. But also there's beauty in being broken and sure, not being like, break, and being a little bit like tarnished. Rebuilding. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting when we look at, like, when people come into the therapeutic space Mm -hmm. and they find themselves feeling very broken. Yeah. And then they go into this space of healing and transformation. And I think that's, that's sort of like how we started this conversation to begin with when we talked about the whole social pressure and the social culture that we live in Mm. is about being hashtag relationship goals. Everything is goals. Like people take these filtered pictures posted on Insta and Finsta and Snapchat and all of those social media platforms. And the idea Mm. of it is to say, look at me, I'm perfect. There isn't sure. a room in that sort of filtered exposure for mm. you to show your brokenness. There isn't a space in that in that world for you to show that mm. I'm not perfect. There's in that space to say, I wasn't a good wife. There isn't a space to say, look, I failed terribly at this. And I was a horrible person to someone who is one of my best friends for many, many Mm. years of my life. There isn't that space that exists in that world. Mm -hmm. And then when you face that mirror, right, you have that sort of broken mirror type of experience Whereas I don't like the image that's reflected back on me, so I choose to not look anymore. Of course. I had to make that choice to look. And I made that choice to look because I said, this is the only way that I get through on the other side. This is my journey. Yes, I'm going to have to take some detours. I'm going to have to take multiple connections. There's going to be layovers, Mm. etc. But when I get to my destination, it will so be worth it. Because this is the process of growth. This is the process of change. Oh my gosh. And so what happened? Yeah, so I got back home. I looked at myself in the mirror. And I literally, said... Literally. Looked at herself in the mirror. And I said, you know what? Got some cellulite. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've, well, you know, welcome to the club. <laughs> I've gained a few LBs and... We all have. But when I smile, something radiates from the inside. I think that's like your biggest... Not to like mm-hmm. feed your already succinct <laughs> ego. Um, but that is something mm-hmm. about you that I know it's mm-hmm. like when you smile mm-hmm. and when you laugh it's that's a part of you that thank you that i that i would say if i ever had to do a eulogy <sighs> i would say she was always like smiling and laughing mm-hmm. or you always knew and you could always make people feel like there's a space of home in your life oh Thank you. That's the moment. (laughs) 
I love that because I feel that that's so important for me. I grew up as an only child mm-hmm. and it was important for me to feel at home and feel connected in spaces mm-hmm. that I occupied. And people did that for me, starting with like one of my favorite aunts, Patricia. Um, there were times that I would be, you know, a you know, very little girl and didn't have like a mom or dad around to like, read me stories or check my homework and she was the person who did that sometimes you know choosing to stay a few moments extra with me to give me that attention you know even though she had her own children and I am and I always respected that and loved that but I knew how that experience made Mm -hmm. me feel and I've always tried to mimic that and, and have that experience with other people and um and it's something that it's like imprinted in my DNA. Um, Mm -hmm. But back to when I got home and I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw what I saw and I said, I need to change because I was also in this space. The last couple of years, I've also been intentionally working on my spirituality and my healing. And I felt Oh, I've been to church with you. (laughs) Yeah. It's like up, hands raised, singing to the Lord. And I felt that a huge part of my my journey through Christ mm-hmm. was about authentic honesty. And I said, There's if I'm... There's something about that, yeah. being authentically honest yes. in your life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it wasn't... I didn't just want the truths reflected back to me that were palpable. I wanted the truths that were the truth. Sure. And I can now face that truth because of the work that I've done Mm -hmm. to grow to know that hey if these things are now reflected back to you you Mm. can still come through on the other side and not only come through but come through with a testimony that is um, that is not only true and fulfilling for you but also transformative and shows the transformative power of change and healing Mm. and wholeness so there was something about your story where you were like you had told your grandmother Mm -hmm. and i think that's the part for me that just feels very (laughs) as -hmm. she's laying there on her deathbed oh my god don't make me cry (laughs) it's okay if you do because this is a part of the filling. I never mm-hmm. met her, mm-hmm. but the experience that I feel with you in this moment mm-hmm. with her, yeah, and like how you could be and just what was that like saying to her? It was hard mm-hmm. because I. She was married at 14 years old. Marriage was Mm. one of the most um, profound things that she always says she did in her life. She Mm. loved my grandfather to distraction. And um, I've always wanted that kind of a relationship. And Mm. I think it is, you know, also purposeful in my choice. You know, like um, my my, my ex-husband was very similar to um, mm-hmm. to me and we had similar passions and and those sort of things that I felt like oh I can have a partnership with him sure right and I had all of those expectations those loaded expectations um, mm-hmm. for that and 
when when she was laying there and because she couldn't speak actually sure she was in a um, not really in a coma but she had a stroke and couldn't speak but mm. she went to my finger where my wedding ring would be and mm. she held it and it was something when she was you know talking when well speaking but not really speaking no she was speaking, speaking but sometimes mm-hmm. people can say things to us yeah without even saying a word and i looked at her and i said i hear you mm. i hear you i knew what she was saying it was like make this right <laughs> You know, whatever it is, like you deserve to be happy, you deserve to be at peace, and you deserve to not be held captive by a shadow of a marriage that isn't really a marriage, just for the sake of saying, I am married, or for the sake of saying, I haven't failed at this. Like, she sure. was like, I want you to have what I have. And she had that sense of, like, preparedness and ready because my grandfather passed away 20 years ago. So, so she, she was, was, like, ready, like, I'm about to be with my boo. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, hang out with Jesus. And okay. <laughs> um, but she, yeah, and and when I... When she like held my hands and looked at me that way, mm-hmm. like the tears fled, and I was but I was speaking to her, and I said, "You're right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make some decisions. I'm going to come out of this." And she was like, "Ah," and there was a pillow next to her that had like "Love You" on it, and she like pointed to that, like, mm-hmm. and and what I felt like she was communicating to me was not only just did she love me. But she wanted me to love myself sure. and love myself enough to know that I deserve to, that I deserved happiness. And I felt like I was sure. holding myself back mm-hmm. from accessing, you know, other relationships and other experiences sure. because like I felt I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. So you've. And I was punishing myself. Punishing? You know, so often we can find ourselves in these situations where it's like we continue to punish mm-hmm. ourselves. So you came back to the United States. Mm-hmm. And I had, had asked you. to separate myself for some money. Okay. <laughs> I, had, I had said, you had said, because I said I was going to be doing this divorce mediation. Mm-hmm. And I think that you were already like kind of thinking about it. Yeah. But then when I had asked you the kind of what I, we were just talking in the in the crossing and you had said, I had finalized my divorce. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. Such and there was a sense of, it was so weird. The day when I met with my attorney and had to mm. like fill out the paperwork and things like that. I was shaken. I had a physical reaction. My heart was beating. Oh, sure. My, like, everything was just like, whoa. Then I signed it. We sent it to him. 
and I felt a sense of relief that I've never felt before that was like unexcript it was a word inexplicable (laughs) yeah and then did it feel like a relief It felt like a weight was lifted off of my back. Mm. And then I felt filled. Like there was a sense of joy, of peace, and of Mm -hmm. wholeness. um, That I didn't realize that having Mm -hmm. that part of me kind of tied up because of that trauma kept me from feeling whole. You know, the irony would be Mm. (laughs) afterwards, you guys decided, (laughs) let's say it was like, we made a mistake and (laughs) we're going to re-live our life. And And that would be fine. But I think it would be the current Mm. way that our relationship was going wasn't the way that a marriage should go. Well, you know, it's so... For the listeners out there mm-hmm. who are holding on to things and to realize sometimes it takes these defining moments mm-hmm. of a death or yeah. something of that nature to really put us in a space of looking at that broken mirror and saying, mm-hmm. I need to rebuild yeah. and put the pieces together. You know. I always say it's like a glass that is broken that we try to put back together. Mm. And even though we put all the places in perfectly, Mm -hmm. there's still these like imperfections that really are a part of our life. And so I think that that's a beautiful story. And that's... Yeah. And even as you were just describing of a broken glass... Mm That is just artwork, right? Like, have you walked into a museum and seen one of those mosaic sort of pieces Mm -hmm. that are just like chipped pieces of broken glass put on a paper or put on a canvas to be displayed? And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's about us recognizing that perfection sometimes is not perfect. Sometimes perfection (laughs) is not perfect. Well, thank you, Asa, for coming on to Talk Sex with Dick. (laughs) And it was an absolute to follow you. I love you as a human, even though we don't work well together. (laughs) I think it's our personalities. But the thing is, is that there's so much... You know, I think when people clash like that mm-hmm. and we're gonna, it's because you're just so much alike. It could be, yeah. I think so. Absolutely. So. But I absolutely adore you and love you too. It's mutual. Uh, I know. I miss those times when you would come in my office and just stroke my hair. <laughs> it was nice. So, uh. all right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, next week, I will be answering a series of questions. If you have a question or want to... Petition for Asa to come back on the podcast. we will have you back. (laughs) This was so fun. I know. If you have a question out there about relationships, sex, culture, I try not to get political, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Lake 
Rising Therapy. Again, that's L-A-I-K-E, Rising Therapy. Again, thank you, Asa, for being on the show. And, thank you uh, for having me. Mm-hmm. This was great. Again, you've been listening to Talk Sex with Dick. And until next time, take care of yourself and the people around you. And I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.